One, two, three. Can you hear it with your ears? Can you see it with your eyes? Can you feel it wiggling between your quivering thighs? That thing. That thing. That thing with James. Once every millennium, something will come along. When you feel it, you will know it, because it's coming on strong. That thing. That thing. That thing with James. Sit back. Relax. Deep breaths. No stress. Let me come inside your mind. I promise you it won't take long. The change will happen soon. You will feel something so special growing deep within you. That thing. That thing. That thing with James. That thing. That thing. That thing with James. That's you. That's us. We are all James. We are all James right now. Welcome to episode 31, 31 of That Thing with James J. Asher II. Hi, how you doing? Oh, great, cool. My turn to talk. I have a guest who I'm going to introduce in a slightly caustic manner after this quick business. I want to thank my, my one Patreon donor, Josh. You the man. You rock. You have supported me, and without you, man, I don't know if I'd still be doing this, but I'm doing it for you and for everyone else. But if you want to be one of the cool kids, you can help donate and help support this show through my Patreon account, which is patreon.com slash that thing with James. You can donate as little as a dollar a month. It's not much, but it's something. It may not be much to you, but it means so much to me. One dollar a month. Or you can pay, uh, or, or donate rather, not pay. Uh, you can donate as much as $15,000 a month, for real, if you got fuck you money or if you're really bad with money management. Either way, if you want to gamble, gamble on me. Odds are good, baby. Patreon.com slash that thing with James. If you want to contact me, if you need some advice, if you just want to tell me you love me, if you have like any questions I can answer on the show, if you have an idea of a subject for an episode, send me an email, thatthingwithjames at gmail.com. I'll check it. I'll read it. I'll probably get back to you. thatthingwithjames at gmail.com. Or you could also contact me on my social media. I'm active on Instagram and Twitter. My handle is at James J. Asher. I will reply because I don't get a lot of people messaging me. <laughs> so uh, if you want to be one of the cool kids, send me a message. I'll reply. And um, I mean, unless you're like a shithead, uh, unless I'm getting like weird fucking vibes, like weird's cool, crazy's cool, as long as it's good weird and good crazy. It's got to come from a place of love. Got to come from a place of love. But if you're being a freak, like a bad freak, if I get in bad vibes, if you're a serial killer or a fucking troll, I'm not going to reply to you. But if you're a cool person, hit me up. That, uh, that thing with James at gmail.com and at James J. Asher on Instagram and Twitter. You can visit my website, jamesjasher.com. And you know, because I'm good at fucking branding, jamesjasher, jamesjasher.com. Um, 
you can find like my agent's contact info if uh if you want to like hire me for something that'd be fucking cool or or you can email me whichever um and also i've got a blog on my website you can check out way way back before i started the show i've got excerpts from my book and just like uh an essay i wrote whilst drunk on absinthe about the nature of nature i was watching that show um altered carbon I've never even heard of that. What is that? It's on Netflix. It started out, uh, the ending got kind of, but it's really fucking cool. Uh, But uh, yeah, I was drinking absinthe and watching that show and I was like, what's the fucking nature of nature, man? Like, what is unnatural? You just fell down that rabbit hole? Fell down the rabbit hole and I was like, got this new website on the blog jamesjasher.com if you're listening and if you haven't done so already subscribe to the show man also rate and review it can help me like show up on stuff so people like you can find this show and enjoy it and we can all you know love one another yeah uh, all about that all about that and um, if you're watching this on YouTube and if you haven't done so already please subscribe to my YouTube channel Write a comment, like the videos you like, and for all of you, just share the show with your friends, your family, your loved ones, your dogs, your cats, your pets, snakes, I will allow. I don't discriminate, even though I have a, um, a phobia, rep, I don't know what kind Is of it all reptiles or just ones with no legs? Just ones with no legs. Okay. Even worms kind of freak me out because it's like the, the wiggling. Just the way that they move? Okay. Yeah. No, I can get that. Yeah. Yeah, but worms don't bite. <laughs> so that's like a little, but the, the movement still freaks me out. So yeah, um, all that business is done. And now to introduce the guest. Who are you and what are you doing in my home? <laughs> um, my name is Laura. Um, I've known James for about five years. Five or six years. Five, six years. Yeah. Um, shortly after I moved to Austin about seven years ago. And I am a certified cheese professional um which is a thing we got this lovely plate of cheese that we're going to be trying later uh, from my work um i work for whole foods market i've been with that company for about eight years and they help support me become a certified cheese professional a certified cheese professional is kind of like a sommelier but for cheese so there's lots of requirements prerequisites that you have to hit and then there's this big test that they they offer like once a year at the american cheese society conference and you have three hours and it's 150 questions and it kind of spans anywhere from animal husbandry and what type of animals make what cheese and what type of grasses they're eating all the way through cheese production to tariffs for when you're importing and exporting cheese all the way down to how you serve cheese and it just kind of runs the gamut so are you the same thing as like a cheese monger? Is so that the same a cheese monger is just a term for like a fishmonger is just somebody who sells fish. It's like an old timey term that's uh-huh. just kind of hung around. So I am a cheese monger because I do slang cheese, but uh, a certified cheese professional, which does not sound as sexy as a Cicerone or a sommelier. So I like to call myself a fromelier. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just, it's another classification showing that I have X amount of hours and studying uh, queso, basically. Fuck yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. Like, cheesemonger. I just like the word monger, cheesemonger. I mean, that's like a badass job title. And also certified cheese professional. That's like a whole nother level behind it. Because anyone can sell cheese, you know? 
you can go to a bodega and they'll sell cheese, right? Absolutely. And that could be a cheesemonger. Technically a cheesemonger. But if you call yourself a cheesemonger, you sound like a little bit more like badass in your role. You sound yeah. serious. But it's kind of like the difference between a like a masseuse and a massage therapist. One will make you come. The other one will just loosen you up. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to tell my mother the massage therapist that one. <laughs> She'll love it. Okay, so, um, all right. So you said you moved here uh, a while back. Mm -hmm. Where'd you move here from? So I'm originally from a town called Natick in Massachusetts. It's a suburb of Boston. It's about 30 minutes uh, west of the city in uh, Middlesex County, which is the most uppity, hoity-toity, rich area of the state it's one of like the top five most expensive places to live really in like the united states last time middlesex. i middlesex middlesex county um and this doesn't include like cape cod or anything no right? this okay. is just this one county it's newton natick wellesley these really like upper class towns however my dad had moved to natick uh I think when he was about nine or 10 from Canada. So his family kind of stayed there. And Natick is a very towny town. Everybody kind of knows each other. And my parents kind of lucked out in that uh, they were able to, you know, making friends and they're old, you know, they're hippies. So mm. they did a bartering and they've known people and we've been in the same house our whole life. So we just kind of grew up in that area. Huh. So your dad's from Canada. Mm -hmm. Whereabouts? Uh, Windsor, Nova Scotia. Okay. Oh, so east, right? Nova Scotia's east? Uh, I think it is. No like, Nova Scotia is in the western part of Canada. It's near uh, Newfoundland. Okay. Because um, it's like Yukon Territories, Northwest Territories. Then you span all the way across to the other um, ocean. So they're on the Atlantic. And I imagine... Even Wait, no, that, that, is, that is east. You're right. I got my east and west confused. So uh, Nova Scotia is on the east. Yes. Like just above uh, Maine. Yes, sort of. exactly. Okay. Where uh, Trailer Park Boys is set. Very much so. Absolutely. <laughs> Fuck you, Ricky. <laughs> uh, okay, so... Man's gotta eat, Mr. Leahy. <laughs> <laughs> There's a shitstorm coming. Oh, that no. guy died. I know. R.I.P. Mr. Leahy. Just, I know, right? My favorite scene from him was towards the end of the series. I can't remember if it was the end of the series or, like, one of the movies where he is just in that bathtub full of, like, the blue UV vodka. Yes, Just yes. off his mind, just drunk, <laughs> swimming around. And I'm like, honey, we've all been Mr. Leahy in that moment at some point in our lives. I, I, just I, I was Mr. Leahy when I first started watching that show, man. <laughs> He's a very, sadly, a very relatable character. He shouldn't be, but I think everybody's got... Or most people, there's like a shred of Mr. Leahy in there, that just sad degenerateness that they oh, let yeah. out every once in a while. Oh, yeah. I think it's healthy to let that out. Every once... Within reason. Within reason. Yeah. Yeah. As long as it doesn't get out of control. Yeah. It's got purged every now and then in, in whatever way you can to... As long as you don't, like, ruin your or anyone else's other, life. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you just gotta... Yeah, you gotta let that little demon out every once yeah. in a while. Yeah. Otherwise, that's how anxiety manifests itself when you don't... That's right. Let everything out. That's right. So, where's your mom from? Is she from that area? My mom was uh, kind of a military brat a little bit, so they kind of moved around a lot. So, she was born in Ohio. Mm -hmm. um, I can't remember exactly where I think it was, either Cincinnati or Cleveland, one of the C's in Ohio. And uh -huh. then they were in Pennsylvania for a while, and they kind of bounced around that area. Um, but her family currently uh, lives in uh, Pennsylvania and New York. Okay. Um, but she 
met my dad when she had moved up. Uh, she was in Boston. She went to Boston College for a little bit and then went and got her a massage therapist uh, license up there. And she met my dad up there. She was a waitress at a diner that he went to. Oh, that's cute. Isn't that the cutest? <laughs> that's really cute. I know. They're the best. <laughs> and they're a couple of hippies. Uh, yes, pretty much. Um you know, uh, my dad's a little bit more reserved. You know, he he's not quite out there with all sorts of frills and bells. Crystals but yes. and stuff. Um, no, my mom is very much crystal hippie, and we love her for it. Melinda is absolutely fantastic. Melinda's her Ma- name? Melinda and uh, Murray. The Melinda the Good Witch? Definitely. Hell yeah. Um, and they are the cutest, most loving couple I've ever met in my life. Um, excellent communicators, fantastic parents. That's the biggest thing. And I talk, I try to talk a lot about that on the show is communication is key in anything, personal life, friendships, relationships, business, anything. Communication is key. I've seen my parents, you know, everybody kind of quips a little bit, but I've never seen my parents yell at each other you know there's a right. one moment of hey cut it out yeah. but there's never a back and forth yelling mm. from them i think in their 30 some odd years of marriage they said that they've like actually gotten into a fight twice and it was before any of the kids were born mm-hmm. um when they were younger yes and right. learning communication styles i've seen them argue and when it got to the point they both realized when the they're not listening anymore mm-hmm. and they're just trying to get their point across. And I've seen them go, I love you and I need to not be near you for five minutes. Yeah. And they go other places. Cause um, in uh, psychiatric like nursing, I learned that there was um, four different levels of anxiety, one, two, three, and four. And when you hit a four, you can't hear anymore. You can't listen right. anymore. And so they you're, realized- You're stuck on the loop. Mm-hmm, it's just, yeah. I want the last word. Right, right, right. Um, in terms of, it's not, you know, like an anxiety attack, but when you get to those levels of arguing, it's based in anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and you stop being able to listen and process information and hear somebody else's side because there's aggression behind it. You just want to get your point across. So they both realize when they get to a four and they're no longer listening to each other, they separate, de-escalate, come back, communicate. So you just said something that interested me. Well, this is all interesting, but one thing that piqued me was that um, arguing and wanting to, wanting to get the last word is based on anxiety. Nobody uh, wants to be wrong. Nobody wants to be wrong. Being told that you're wrong, like if I were to tell you you're wrong about something, innately um, that feels bad. Right. That doesn't feel good. So if you can prove that you're right, you don't have to sit in your own head and be, why am I wrong? Why am I wrong? It, it, it erupts your sense of security. It erupts your idea of like, what is right? Mm-hmm. You know, you have to totally uh, shift your, your definitions of things kind of. A, right. Yeah. And admitting that you're wrong is one of the hardest things for somebody to do. Mm-hmm. So people tend to subconsciously do everything they can to avoid that. And anxiety is kind of a blanket term for like a lot of different emotions and how people feel that internally varies from person to person. Mm-hmm. So anxiety is just a general term of fear of if I'm wrong, what does that mean? I know I'm right. I'm convinced in my head because now I'm up here and I can't process information. I can't rationalize. Right. So I just need to get my point across. And it can, if you if you are unaware of how to deal with anxiety or, or deal with the idea that perhaps you are indeed wrong, if you don't really know how to approach that in a constructive way, you might just end up saying like, well, I'm wrong because I'm a bad person. You know, I've seen that like with myself and with other people, they'll just kind of 
jump to the conclusion that they are like morally, like fundamentally bad. Where it's you're not bad, it's just you're you're missing this thing, you're missing this perspective. Because you're still at a level four anxiety and shades of gray disappear. Shades of gray disappear. It is black or white. I am right or I'm wrong. I am good. I am bad because I'm here and I can't think. I can't process my emotions. And all of a sudden it's... And then once you get in that rut, you stay there because that's the emotion that you felt first. So that's what for, that's what's familiar and that's what you're going to go back to. Right. And some people uh, try to find ways to always go back to that feeling. Right? Because you like what's familiar even if familiar doesn't feel good. You like what's familiar, even if familiar doesn't feel good. Because you know it. It's not a new sensation. New can be scary. Yes. Even if new might be good. Even if new feels amazing. It's, I've never felt this before, but now, okay, what does this mean? I think I like it. I know. But then there's that, well, well, this, well what does this mean? How do I process this? This can't last. Everything I've ever known yeah. goes to shit. So this so has to go to shit. What's my baseline? Subconsciously start trying to find ways to turn it to shit. Because that's your baseline, because that's where you've set yourself up. Oh, my God. I'm learning so much. <laughs> Having parents that had an amazing form of communication, I realized what a privilege that has been. Mm -hmm. And I also realized how sheltering that was because I didn't see other people's parents having right. conversations. So I assumed growing up, everybody's family was like mine. Right. And that everybody had two parents that loved their children and loved each other and everything went well. Right. So I had kind of rose tinted glasses when it came to couples because I had this amazing example of a couple. Now I'm not saying that they're like 100% perfect. Everybody kind of has their days, ebbs and flows, uh, strengths and areas of opportunity. Um, but it was, it was a baseline that I just saw as super healthy. So seeing people who don't have that Mm -hmm. is I, I felt bad and I didn't understand it. I, I'm, I feel you exactly the same. I've got both my parents. We all have our flaws, but at the end of the day, they were great and loving. They've done, they did everything they could. They communicated. I never saw them like fight either. Yeah. I uh, know. I've seen them have like very strong disagreements. Yeah. I've seen them have to not talk to each other for a while, but they never screamed or anything like that. Yeah. It's, so I, 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 I see what you're talking about. Yeah, when you go into this really idea, it's like, experience. doesn't everybody get that this is the fucking problem and this is how you uh, solve it in a constructive, healthy way? Yeah. No, not everybody sees that. It's Wh sad. It is sad. I feel bad. One of the weirdest things about growing up and I, I didn't even really start to notice it until like my early 20s till I got out of college was like how unadult so many adults were. I always assumed that, you know, adults are supposed to be mature. And it's like every year that passes, I'm like, these people, all these adults that I thought had their shit together are morons. They have no idea what they're doing. It's what they were taught. It's what they saw. It's, you know, maybe they hadn't been in that situation before, but in a moment with a conversation with somebody, that's how the reaction went. So then they program themselves that that's how interactions go. And, and some of those people get in positions of power. And they haven't processed whatever trauma they're going through. And then it manifests itself in these ugly, terrible ways. Yep.
But that could go for, you know, somebody in a position of power. That could go for a store clerk who you find is a little unsavory. It could go for people who you get along with perfectly well because you haven't seen them in a scenario that has given them enough anxiety to bring out that side of them. And it can happen with people who are, you know, have great upbringing such as myself. I still have my flaws of, you know, certain buttons. Once those are hit, I can't follow, you know... Mm the example that was set before me and it's like the icy red thing and it's like nope yeah. I, I can't be the bigger person today you forget the face of your father <laughs> Baby, <sorry. laughs> 232 232 oh yeah we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back and we're back so uh okay so you're from massachusetts mm-hmm what was it like living there? Um, the area I grew up in was like super towny town. I actually didn't go into Boston a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said you were like 30 miles or minutes away? 30 minutes if you took like the Mass Pike, which is like the main big highway that'll get you right into Boston. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, it was really, really nice. I had, you know, I went to a public uh, elementary school and everybody, you know, it was lovely. Uh, me and my siblings were homeschooled in middle school and then we were all given the option in high school, do we want to go to an alternative high school? Do we want to go to public high school or we can stay homeschooled? Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up going to Norfolk County Agricultural High School, which is kind of like a tech school, but it's specific to agriculture. So there wasn't like a vocation for cosmetics or hair or anything like that. It's just plant science, animal science, and mechanical science. And those were your majors. And it was a school uh, originally designed around work prep as opposed to college prep. Mm-hmm. So class- Kind of German. That's what they do in Germany. Is, is like, it? Like a voc- it's a trade schools and stuff. Basically, yeah. Like for, by the time you're getting into like the equivalent, equivalent of high school, you choose something of like, what are you gonna do? Like, once you're out of school, we'll start training you for that now kind of a thing. Okay. I didn't know that. But, yeah, mm-hmm. it's kind of similar to that. Um, a good Most of the students do end up going to college. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, and it was a regional school. So, people came from all sorts of different towns and kind of got chartered in okay. to this one school. And the first year, mm-hmm. you try all of the classes because they want you to be able to experience everything. Second year, you drop one of the three majors. And then the last two years, you pick kind of your area of focus, um, and there were subsets in each focus. So in animal science, there was equine science, uh, like farm management, uh, pet shop management. Mm -hmm. Um, Plant science had landscaping, arbor, all sorts of that stuff. And now agricultural mechanics technically had those, but there were so few mechanics majors that it was just everybody took the same classes, basically, and you were an ag mech major. Is that just, like, how to repair a tractor kind of a thing? Um, small engine repair, uh-huh. uh, welding, different types of welding, uh, woodworking, plumbing and electrical, tractor driving. Um, we practiced driving 18-wheelers in case we wanted to do truck driving. That's cool. Um, and yet... All sorts of kind of stuff within that. Okay. So, and then you you said you kind of grew up like on a farm. A hobby farm. And it didn't really start out that way. We just had our house. And mm-hmm. then in my second grade class, we hatched chicks. Mm-hmm. And just like any other normal kid, I go, can we keep them? Mm-hmm. And my parents said, yes. 
What I didn't know is my mom had chickens growing up, pet chickens that lived in her basement. Oh. Or they'd be out in the yard, but they would come home to roost and they were pets. Uh-huh. And, you know, they would provide eggs, but they were very much pets. And my parents weren't opposed to that idea. So we started with chickens and then we had more chickens and then we had rabbits. And then my mom was really into wool and knitting and uh, had bought a spinning wheel and wanted to learn how to process her own wool. Mm-hmm. Um, so we ended up getting sheep. Oh, wow. And then from getting sheep, uh, we ended up, uh, because the area that we're in has coyotes, we got a donkey to protect the sheep. Mm-hmm. And then there was another farm in, there were several farms kind of around the area, but the farm that I kind of grew up going to and working at uh, was Native Community Organic Farm. And uh, I worked there all throughout um, high school and all throughout college. And... I very much had a differentiation of food animals versus pet animals mm-hmm. and animals that were at that farm. Those are food animals. Mm-hmm. And then animals that are at my house are pet animals. We didn't kill and process animals at my house. That wasn't right. something that we did. But I imagine you ate eggs. Yes. So okay. um, most of the animals had a purpose. So the sheep gave us wool. The donkey protected the sheep. The chickens gave us eggs. Rabbits. They were cute and cuddly. Um <laughs> Because we didn't have uh, cats or dogs growing up because Mm -hmm. uh, my brother um, is allergic to cats and dogs. And then our our landlord who owns a house that we, my family still lives in, Mm -hmm. is extremely allergic to cats and dogs. So we couldn't have them in the house. My parents don't like the idea of just having a dog that lives outside. So no cats or dogs, so sheep and chickens. So second grade, seven-year-old ish laura was the catalyst for what is now a hobby farm i guess i've never (laughs) thought about that (laughs) it sounds like you kind of were (laughs) yes and we had three chicks that we took home cinnamon was one of them and then i can't remember the other ones i think it was like snowball or lucky now we have probably had well over 50 chickens, mm-hmm. possibly close to 75. How long does a chicken live? Depends. Um, we've had some that have lived for quite some time. I think max would be 10 years. I'm really not that certain, but mm-hmm. a lot of chickens, uh, you know, if they catch a disease or something like that, or um, we, we lost a lot of chickens to hawks or like predatory animals. So it's kind of hard to gauge, but we have had some chickens that have lived to some ripe old ages. Um, yeah, I think we've had prop well over 50 chickens, and my sister can name each chicken chronologically in the order we got it with their name. Because <laughs> wow. chickens are my sister's thing. She is the chicken girl. She bonded with those chickens instantly, and birds specifically respond to my sister. So those are like wow. her things. Uh, she had a chicken that was kind of like a therapy chicken that knew how to hop in her purse, and she would take it with her to Petco. That is uh, so cute. It would take naps with her in the bed. Oh my God, that's cute. Yeah. So you, have, I didn't know you have a. You have any other siblings? Um, I have my sister who's sixteen months older than me, and mm-hmm. then I have my younger brother who just turned twenty-eight. Uh, end of July. Okay. And I'm so. thirty, so two years younger than me. And you're, you're a Sagittarius, right? I am. When, when was your birthday? December fourteenth. That's right, because you're a day before me. I was like, I know our birthdays yes. are very close. I did uh, open mic last night. Yeah, stand up, 
Uh, where where'd you do it at? Um, I went downtown to um, uh, Fallout Theater. Okay. You know the place? I'm aware. I've never been, but I know it. It exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's there. I did. Uh, I tried out a new line, and it worked pretty well. What was um, it? I'm a Sagittarius, or as I like to call it, Sag Hilarious. <laughs> That's bad. That's oh, yeah. great. I mean, it's oh, like yeah. it's, it's like a, that's like dad jokes. Oh, I'm full of them. I, I do. I do love a good dad joke. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, um, so oh, I remember what I, what I wanted to ask. Is there any like life lessons or anything you learned from doing manual labor like that, like farm work and? And dealing with animals and stuff like that. Um. Or even yes, like in a broad stroke sense. Well, it was also a like, like when my brother would get stressed out and get annoyed, it's go outside and you know chop some wood. That mm-hmm. wasn't like a punishment, but that's what he would do to you know get stuff out of his system. Right. Um. It was. I realized how much better produce tasted from a garden that you grew. Right. Or that you harvested yourself. Um, I learned the value of a dollar mm-hmm. very early on. Um, and then a lot of what it takes. The I'd say probably one of the main ones from working at the farm that I uh, worked at was uh, following your food from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would help. We called it processing. So I right. would help... Um, for a very, you know, uncomfortable term, I would help slaughter chickens and rabbits for when we would have events or if people asked for them. Right. Um, and then I would purchase some of the animals that I had helped kill and process because I felt like I was a little bit more connected to my food. Or um, I would transport the animal. if it, We did smaller animals, but we wouldn't do like sheeps or cows or anything like that at mm. the farm. But there was a slaughterhouse about 45 minutes north of us. Now, this is a family name, and they picked an apt career to go into Blood's Slaughterhouse. What? Their Blood's... last name was Blood. Oh, and my God. they were a processing facility, so I would transport the animals up there, and occasionally I'd get to see the process, and it was very humbling and very scary and very gross, but also mm. I was like, okay, now I know where my food came from. I know who it came from, which is a little jarring, mm. um, but I also knew that it had an amazing life and it was free range, living on the pasture, little kids petting it. And I know that can seem morbid to some people, but... I think it's a really important thing that should... Uh, uh, American culture, for what it is, largely because of, as a result of capitalism, tries to separate us from nature and separate us from ugly parts of reality. Mm-hmm. Marketing, yada yada, leads to this. I think it's important for people to know where their fucking food comes from. Um, I think people should. I, I've personally never had to process an animal, mm-hmm. but I know it. I've I've seen things killed. I've had to deal with dead shit because mm-hmm. uh, I grew up in the country. Um, yeah, and I think. More, I, I wish more Americans knew about that kind of stuff because maybe they'd have a better relationship with their food, maybe more respect for life in general. As you know, your chicken nuggets don't just appear out of nowhere; they come from genetically from, modified. Like it came from a chicken that 
couldn't walk and was cramped in a cage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I've talked to a lot of people about this and they go, oh, I could never do that because then I couldn't eat meat. And I go, oh, then maybe... Maybe be a vegetarian. Yeah, maybe be a, a vegetarian. And, you know, I don't want to, you know, anybody's allowed to do whatever they want. And that's mm-hmm. their lifestyle choice. But I think that people are so far removed from their food that sometimes when they see the reality of it, it scares them. And it's very much the go back to sleep mentality. I, oh, don't, yeah. I don't like what I saw. Close that door. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Didn't, yeah. didn't hear it. Didn't see it. And yeah, it's just it's causing a huge disconnect between like the mainstream civilian and like our agriculture business in the US. And that's why they're, you know, it seems like it's extremists who get upset about factory farms. Right. More people I think would be upset about that if they had a stronger connection to where their food came from. Right. Connection with nature in general. Yeah. You know, Um, okay, so let's go, you did high school. What came Mm -hmm. after high school? Um. I was looking into going, I was an agriculture mechanics major in high school. I thought I was going to go into animal science and mechanics was something that I wasn't familiar with and it was something new and it was something fun. So I kind of stuck with that. Mm -hmm. And I had gotten a couple of scholarship opportunities to go to some different uh, like tech schools for automotive. And I wasn't sure that that's what I wanted to do Um, in part because I just wasn't sure that that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. But Mm. another part of it was I saw the sexism in the industry. Oh, yeah. Being a high school student. Yeah. yeah. Um, And it was frustrating and uncomfortable. And at that point in my life, I didn't have enough confidence to have a voice about it. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't want to go into it. Um, So I decided I'm going to go to school for nursing because I love helping people. I love taking care of people. I like doing things for people. Mm -hmm. And it's a way that I can also um, one get back to high school real quick before I go into that. Um, I knew that it was a viable career option financially because Mm -hmm. my high school did one thing incredibly correct. They had two classes that everybody had to take. One was called career development and one was called business management. They taught us how to balance a checkbook. They taught us how to figure out a budget Mm -hmm. and what type of career field we would need to go into to make this dollar an hour amount to live in what area we want for this. And now not just for, okay, you can afford rent. What if you want to put a, you know, a down payment on a house? What percentage goes into that? How do I open a check? That is so fucking smart. The closest thing I had in like public high school and in rural Oklahoma was home ec. And we didn't learn dick. Like I, I, I know that maybe we maybe brushed one day on financing finances, but uh, clearly I, I don't remember anything from it. So we didn't spend enough time on it. I'm lucky that my dad taught me money stuff, how to balance a checkbook. Home ec is like yada, Catholic yada. school sex ed. For finances. <laughs> it's finances. They exist. Right. Pay attention. Sex. It's your, it's your husband's don't, don't job. Don't do it. <laughs> Home is still You're aware that a- it exists, but you don't know a goddamn thing to do about it if you want to do it right. Yeah. So, okay. So, you chose nursing Nursing. School. 
Tell me about that. I went to UMass Dartmouth. Um, Dartmouth. Yeah, Ooh. UMass Dartmouth. Uh, That's Ivy, isn't it? No, Dartmouth is that. UMass Dartmouth is just oh. a state school. Um, oh, it's towny, huh? <laughs> yeah, how's this sound? How's it? You can't pack, you can't have it yet. Is that close? To somebody who wasn't from Boston, absolutely. Okay, so what would I need to do to get it? Um, and live there. <laughs> you're, you're too nice in the face right. when you're saying it. You can't pack the con have yet. Um, you're trying too hard. Okay. It's a little bit. It's a little bit more casual now. I don't naturally have too much of a Boston accent, except yeah. for some words. And when I get really excited, and I actually didn't have a Boston accent until I went to high school because they had all these kids from all these different areas of the state. Right. And I started. I tend to pick up accents pretty quick when I'm in in living amongst Me too. people. Me too. Um, adaptive accent. It's just how I yeah. do. Um, and a Boston accent just kind of, it's a little bit more laid back angry is what I would say. Mm. So um, I think the perfect Iron Harvard Yard one is a really bad example. Um, but, you know, the blade of a knife is sharp. Sharp. There's a hint of an R that a lot of people oh, don't sharp. add in there. Sharp. There you go. Sharp. Um, we also, and this is a beautiful thing about Boston accents, not only do we drop ours, we'll add them at the end of words where they should be. I've got an be. idea. Yeah, an idea. That's English. The English do that, some of them. Mm -hmm. Idea. Um, I knew a woman uh, named Liza Carter. Liza? Liza Carter. Liza Carter? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Liza Carter. Um... <laughs> And the most difficult one is when I was working in prepared foods for Whole Foods, which is we're serving stuff out of this case. We had an item called an artichoke feta lemon fritter. Artichoke lemon. Artichoke feta lemon fritter. Artichoke feta lemon fritter. And artichoke feta lemon fritter. <laughs> so it's all backwards. Artichoke feta you just Lemon sounded fritter. Midwestern. Artichoke? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a really ridiculous accent. Um, it's not a sexy accent. Um, I don't recommend it. <laughs> um, I got Peter. I got told by a girl from Australia that I have the most American sounding accent she's ever heard because it's just very neutral. Yeah. And there's not a lot of inflection one way or the other. She goes, you yeah. are the most American sounding American I've ever met in my life. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know whether that was just the rudest thing I'd ever heard or a high compliment. So I'm going to say that it's a compliment that I just have no accent. I've got a mind changes because I was born in Colorado. Colorado's got like, so no. So you said Colorado. Yeah. What what would a you say? I, I it, it would vary depending on how fast I'm talking. Colorado. Um, no, Colorado um, or Colorado. Yeah, some people say Colorado. I've always just I guess I naturally say mm -hmm. Colorado. Or um, Florida, Florida. Florida. Yeah, see, you do the uh, Florida. Florida. Whereas like Florida. Uh, my fiance Chris would say Florida, but he's from New Jersey, so yeah. they also have kind of a ridiculous accent. Where in New Jersey? Is he he's from a town called Brick. <laughs> Is that central, south, north? Um, no, it's on the shore. Okay. Yeah, he's he's Jersey Shore. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, but brick. But okay. <laughs> in defense of brick and the rest of the Jersey Shore, 
people who you saw on the show Jersey Shore are not from the Jersey Shore. They are from New York. They're from all sorts of other areas. They are not the people who grew up in that area. Jacobs. Um, as Chris would say, they would just come to our town every summer and ruin it for everybody. Oh, fuck those guys. Okay, so you studied nursing. Mm-hmm. And then what? Um, I was in nursing school. I was going for my bachelor's. And I got up into my last year and I left before I finished the end of my first semester of my last year. And I uh, never went back. I just realized um, there were a couple of reasons why I left. Um, One of the big ones was I realized that I didn't want to, a little late in the game, I realized I didn't want to do that as the way that I was going to keep myself financially afloat. How, how old would you be at that point? 21, 22. Your brain's not even fucking developed yet. And we expect, you know, kids to have their whole lives figured oh, out. Oh, pushing kids to go to college right out of high school, I think is the dumbest decision. Mm-hmm. Risk assessment is the last thing to develop in your brain. Yeah. And it's not fully developed until you are around 25 years old. Yeah. And we are putting people in a... College can be a high-risk situation. Yeah. And I mean, I'm throwing kids into that situation and expecting them to be adults. I've seen fucking risky behavior. I've, I had a friend who killed himself. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's like... Go out and do something for a couple years before you have to commit to that. That's the one thing that I've kind of always regretted that I didn't do. And I never... I never felt like a severe amount of pressure from anyone in particular, but it was this idea over my head that if I didn't go to college, I was somehow less than. Right. Yeah, it was what the thing you were supposed to do. Yeah. Otherwise, what are you going to work you doing? at fucking McDonald's? It's because there's such a stigma involved around a trade. Mm, trade yes. That, yeah. that you are less educated and therefore less than because you don't have a piece of paper that's a degree right yeah it's it's stupid and it's unnecessary and i think the tides are kind of starting to change a little bit mm-hmm. i've noticed um i think they are i think they have to because if they don't there's not enough jobs for everybody in the degrees that they're seeking yeah. it's a it's either if you know there's it's I was saying earlier to you it's either a feast or a famine. Mm-hmm. There's it's an oversaturation of these certain jobs that now you can't even afford to take care of yourself on the salaries that are expected when you have all these degrees. But then they're looking for minimum of five years experience and they're only willing to pay minimum wage. There has that's not to sustainable. Be, there has to be a fundamental change in the the whole fucking game it has to be changed from the ground up. The whole idea Kids, we approach. Learn it. a trade. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so I left school, um, and I was kind of just farting around for a bit, and then my parents were like, "You can't just like live here and not do anything. You need to get a job." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Okay, I understand that. That's fine." Because I'm just you know kind of fucking around the house. Mm-hmm. Um. And I was like, what do I do? I've only ever, like, done two things. I've done nursing, and I know that I don't really want to do that right now. And then I've worked on a farm my whole life. Like, what do I do? And I was like, okay, well, what can I do that's going to pay me that isn't a farm? And I was like, oh, Whole Foods. 
they're like a grocery store, but they're all about that organic, crunchy stuff. Mm -hmm. Let me apply there, put in my application, uh, which is way different than the applications we do now. They were asking some very crunchy questions, which I answered. Well, they weren't owned by Jeff Baldfuck at the time either. I I have noticed such a change in just the not only the layout of the store, but what if, what affects me the most or what I notice the most is the demeanor of the employees at Whole Foods before Amazon bought them out and after Amazon bought Whole Foods out. I have noticed that before the Amazon buyout, everyone seemed like they really fucking loved being there. Like, this is great, you know? No, maybe it was just my few experiences. I'm sure there's unhappy workers in any situation. Mm -hmm. But I've noticed a marked increase in the surliness and deadness behind the eyes in employees after the Amazon buyout. So I will say this. I will speak of my experience because mm -hmm. I don't want to infer or assume how other people feel. I, am in I a, didn't even think about this. I don't want to like threaten your job I, or anything. I am not this. going to say anything that yeah. would tarnish my name within the company or would make me at risk for losing my job. But I will say this, and this is going to be a little bit more general, and then people can take from that what they will. Mm -hmm. um, I'm in a leadership position. Right. In a, With Whole Foods. Right. Um, now, one thing that I've always noticed as a leader is that people are allergic to change. Okay. People like what is familiar. They like doing things the way that they've always been doing them. People don't like being told what to do mm -hmm. when they've been doing something the same way for a while. When people initially start with something and they have no idea what they're doing, a lot of people really like being told what to do. But then once they learn how to do something one way, they want to stick with that because that's familiar and that's comfortable. Right. Um, when... Small things change. It's annoying when whole policies and processes and ways of doing things change. It's an upheaval. Some mm. people are better at adapting to change than others. Some people take it more personal than others. Okay. Some people think that they are b being targeted when really it's just a... They're, it's not focusing on the individual. It's focusing right. on a much bigger picture. Right. But people are inherently, and not in a bad way, but people are inherently self-centered. Right. And maybe slightly selfish. Right. And so it's, well, I don't like this. This feels uncomfortable. So I, that's kind of what I'm putting out there. Okay. Um, it may not necessarily be a bad change or a good change, right. but it's a change and change is hard. And not everyone, yeah. And not sense. everyone is comfortable with that. Okay. And I will, I th would say that that would be accurate for pretty much any place of employment. When right. big changes happen, big changes happen. Right, right. And you either adapt or you don't. I would agree. That being said, speaking on my own behalf, mm -hmm. I've worked with the company for over eight years. I still love working for the company. I've, That's good. And it's because of what I find in my job and what I choose to focus on in my job. People, mm. maybe people are focusing on the wrong thing. Right. I focus on what I'm doing and maybe it's because of the position that I'm in. I like working with people. I like inspiring people. I like, when I first started with Whole Foods, I was a nerd for Whole Foods. I drank that Kool-Aid and it was 
fucking delicious. Mm -hmm. And the company has never done anything uncouth towards me. I've never felt like anything has been taken away from me with the company. I've only ever felt loved and supported. They're the ones who paid for me to get my CCP and encouraged me to do it. I have only ever had good experiences. You know, there's bad experiences here and there, but that's just with any job. But yeah. I've never had anything that's been made me have a bad taste in my mouth about okay. Whole Foods. And I like getting other people. I teach about cheese. I'm selling cheese. I'm selling beer. I'm selling wine. I'm selling coffee. I'm helping people find their panko breadcrumbs. At the end of the day, it's a grocery store. So find something to like about working in a grocery store. Right. Like talking to people. Like, like learning about new stuff so that you can tell somebody who's shopping at the store a really cute little anecdote about a product because then they're going to have a, a connection to their food. So it sounds like you found a pretty good way to synthesize your experience with farming, which is food and your experience in nursing. And that's taking care of taking people, care of people, trying to find a way to mix those mm -hmm. two to take care of people with food. And I love food. I love trying new food. If there's something on a menu that I have no idea what it is, that's what I'm ordering. And Whole Foods has a lot of quirky stuff that they sell. So I get to try new stuff all the time, which like, is great. Like asparagus water. <laughs> and no we need to take a quick comments. break. <laughs> we need to take a quick break. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. I forgot about asparagus water! No! And we're back. We're back. And uh, let's talk cheese, shall we? What do we have here? All right, so I brought... Sorry if you guys can't see it. I don't want to tip the plate too much because <laughs> I don't want it to fall over. Um, so I brought a bunch of different cheeses. Uh, one thing that I wanted to focus on was I wanted to bring... Uh, like a cheese from each different type of animal that typically makes cheese so that you can kind of taste the difference in flavor profiles and then a couple different examples in a couple different like milk types. Um, all the cheeses kind of spread the gamut. I've got some soft cheeses, some hard cheeses, some medium cheeses. And I also brought a blue cheese that is a good blue cheese for if you don't like blue cheese. Okay. Um, Tip for everybody out there. If you typically do not like blue cheese, look for something called St. Argor or Cambazola. They're, they've got a little bit more of a sweetness and like a little hint of like, a, I, would, I would call it almost like a spiciness to it, like almost, but not like a heat spice, almost like that feeling you get when you eat black pepper. Oh, um, yeah. It's uh, piquant is what they would say. It's, piquant. Yes, almost like a little bit of a zingy flavor to it. Um, it doesn't have any of that ammoniated flavor that a lot of people don't like with blue cheese. Mm -hmm. Another tip is blue cheese. Really classic pairing is to drizzle honey on it. If you drizzle honey on something. Oh, you got some honey? I got some honey. We're going to have some honey? Okay, honey. Um, putting honey on blue cheese makes it, it just elevates it. That with a sauterne dessert wine is absolutely incredible with maybe some like Fresh white peaches. I ha did not like stone fruit this year, so don't go based off of that. But uh, like really good stone fruit or cherries or just on a baguette with, I know this is going to sound ridiculous, butter, blue cheese, on a baguette, sweet mm. dessert wine. Really good. Oh, God, that sounds good. All right, so we're going to dive in. I'm going to set this down here because yeah. I'm a little bit klutzy, so I will drop something. So we're going to start off with this guy right here. Okay, what do we have here? So this is called Capriccio de Cabra. This is a soft 
young wait, wait. goat cheese. Capri chupacabra? Yes, Capri chupacabra. Um, Capricho de cabra. It is a Spanish goat cheese. Mm. Now, goat cheeses are, you can tell them apart from a lot of other cheeses because they are like a pure white color. And I can definitely tell this is a goat cheese. I can tell. Mm. So, a lot of people, when they have goat cheese, they're used to having just that plain white log, which is kind of what this looks like. Mm -hmm. But it's always like super sour, almost like somebody put lemon juice on it. Yeah. This one's a little bit easier going. You get a little bit of creaminess, hint of that buttery. Goat cheese has a distinct goaty flavor to it. The mm -hmm. flavor profile in it, you use the term goaty. Goaty. And it's got a little bit of that like musky funk mm -hmm. to it. Mm -hmm. But this one's a little bit more wild, like mild. So you get a little bit of that salt, a little bit of that lactic-y mm -hmm. tang to it. And then you get that creaminess and it's almost like a hint of a buttery sweetness on the back. Mm -hmm. So this cheese is like... If I were to describe it with my tasting notes in the Laura style, because when I describe cheese to people, I want to like paint them an image. So this is like the hills are alive with the sound of music. I'm walking through the field. Mm. Everything's green and fresh. It's a spring day. The birds are chirping. The flowers are blooming. It's like a balmy Sunday. I'm walking through a, a village in Tuscany. Church bells are dinging. It's like good, just balmy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is really good. Mm. So any cheese, goat cheese in particular, if you're finding that it's like too goaty or too sour, get something that's a little bit fresher and younger, and that's gonna do the trick. And if you've never had goat milk, get it. It's like more creamy than cow milk, I find. You ever had goat milk? I have. You like it? It definitely has a different flavor profile to it. Mm -hmm. um, it's like if you've ever drank like half and half. Yeah. It's got that hint of like, ooh, this shouldn't be here. This is a little bit naughty. I I used to put like in my cereal a little bit of half and half or if I was feeling real naughty, just full half and half in it. So much better than just milk. And I only do whole milk. I don't fuck with like skim 2%. That's just water. I grew up on skim milk, so I didn't know the joys of whole milk until uh -huh. I had it. But now I'm one of those people who, because I eat so much dairy at work, I try to not eat that much dairy at home. Right. I typically don't, my diet doesn't involve a lot of stuff that would have dairy in it unless it was an additive. So if I want to add anything to my coffee, I use oat milk. Ooh, oat milk's good. Yes, I'm on that, I'm on that oat milk kick. Now the next cheese we have, this is going to be a like weird slide to the left. Uh, we're going to do a vegan cheese. Vegan cheese? Wait, that's a thing? That is definitely a thing. Now, being a certified cheese professional, I have lots of opinions about cheese. Um, but I feel like because of what my job involves and I'm doing a lot of like customer service, I would be, in a, be doing a disservice to my customers who, for personal or dietary, whatever reasons, aren't eating dairy-based cheeses but want something that's going to be the closest thing they can find to an actual cheese. So mm. any vegan cheese that we get in at my store, I try so that I can make an accurate assessment of it because um, I don't want to come off as elitist. Like, oh, no, I don't know anything about vegan cheese. Right. Because it's right. not real cheese. Right. That's, that's rude. I'm not going to do that. Um, so that being said, I haven't found a lot of great vegan cheeses that are mass produced. Okay. This one is great. So this is a ricotta style cheese. So a lot of people, when they think ricotta, they think lasagna. Right. It's a recipe cheese. Mm-mm. 
put a little olive oil, sea salt, fresh cracked pepper on it. It's a great snack. So this is Kite Hill Ricotta. They use almond milk to make it. Now what makes this one interesting, so it's a young soft fresh cheese, so you're not looking for a lot of the flavors that you would get from like an aged cheese. Oh, wow. So it's creamy, it's milky, and the texture. I was just thinking this looks like regular ricotta. Mm-hmm. Like the inside of a ravioli. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. That's, it. yeah, I like this. It's really good. A lot of people, if you, if they're not super into cheese, if you gave them that, they may be hard pressed to, if it was paired side by side with a regular ricotta, I think a lot of people would know the difference, but if I just fed that to somebody and they didn't know it was vegan, mm -hmm. they may not guess that it was vegan because the texture is on point, the flavor is on point, and the reason that it is, is they actually process the almond milk the same way that you would process regular milk to make cheese. So they take a bacterial culture um, and an, or like an enzyme. Now theirs is a plant-based enzyme. Typically mm -hmm. when you make cheese, the traditional way of making it was you used rennet, which is uh, in the fourth stomach of the cow, mm -hmm. um, in the, uh, the fourth stomach, there's an enzyme that uh, the babies use to break down milk and help digest it and separate it. Okay. Um, so that's called rennet. And uh, so typically, old-fashioned-wise, they would take that stomach mm -hmm. part from the baby cow, extract the rennet from that, mm -hmm. add that to the milk, and it separates it into curds and whey. Curds being the milk solids, whey being the liquid. What blows my mind is... How did people even think to do that? So, the first cheese ever documented, the, this is, nobody can prove one way or the <clears throat> another, but the most accurate account of cheese being created was camel milk. Camel milk? So, they were traveling across the desert. Mm -hmm. They needed to transport the milk so they would use hides to transport the milk. Now, one time they used a stomach chamber oh. and they had stored it, the milk in there. And then when they went to go look at the milk again, it had separated mm -hmm. into a solid and a liquid. That was the first fresh curd cheese. That makes so much sense. So they're just, it, it was pure accident. And they thought, As how, how can things. we replicate this? Mm -hmm. That's wild. And that, yeah, the vegan cheese, if I did not know that was vegan cheese, I would not have guessed it. It's just... It's really good. And yeah. the other good thing about Kite Hill Ricotta, which, going quick back to what I was saying, so they use a plant-based enzyme so that the cheese stays vegan because when you are shopping for cheese, if it just says rennet on it and it doesn't say vegetable rennet, microbial rennet, mm -hmm. then you can't guarantee that it's not from an animal and therefore that cheese may not be vegetarian. Even if it's marketed as? Well, it can't be marketed as vegetarian, but if it just mm. says cheese, and then in the products, the description, it says milk, cream, enzymes, rennet, mm -hmm. that could be animal rennet, but if it says milk, cream, enzymes, and it doesn't involve rennet, or it says milk, cream, enzymes, vegetable rennet, microbial rennet, or maybe it'll specifically specify animal rennet, that's how you can determine if a cheese is vegetarian or not. Okay. Anyway, so the Kite Hill Ricotta has 
less kind of when you open ricotta it's almost like cottage cheese sometimes there's mm -hmm. a lot of moisture in it so if you're making a recipe that you need a ricotta that's not gonna kind of sweat off as much liquid because you don't want to have like a liquidy lasagna mm -hmm. use that to make your lasagna because you're not it's not going to get a soupy oh yeah nice. right all right on to the next one so this i'm going to pick it up with my hands and i'm going to show you guys <laughs> this is saint angel would be how i pronounce it but it's i believe it's like saint angel or uh -huh. angel i cannot pronounce stuff y'all that is not my strong suit um, this is a triple cream brie. This I is a cow's milk cheese. fucking love brie. It's <laughs> so it's got a softer outside, a little bit more of a close check texture inside. Now, people are making mistakes when they're eating brie. They're not eating the rind. You eat the mm -hmm. rind. Not always. Some rinds, if it's a wash rind cheese, that might have a little bit of a toe jam moment happening, and that may not be your jam. We don't want that. <laughs> but try it with the rind. It adds a more earthy, musty like note to it. Mm. Oh yeah. It's like oh, a stick yeah. of salted butter. Oh, I love it. Mm. Cow's milk cheeses tend to be exceptionally buttery compared to other cheeses because there aren't a lot of those farmy barnyardy notes going on in there. Mm. Now this is a triple cream brie. So you might see triple cream, you might see double cream, wondering what that means. Mm -hmm. um, so for a cheese to be a triple cream brie, it needs to have a milk fat percentage of 75% or higher. Mm -hmm. Anything less than 75% to about, I believe it's 60% is a double cream brie. Okay. And they just add more cream to it when they're making it. They mm -hmm. add cream back to it after you separate the curds and whey. They add cream back to it, and that can make it a double cream or a triple cream. That's really damn good, Brie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that. Right. Mm. I'm trying to kind of move up in strength of flavor because otherwise, you know, if we start with blue cheese, that's going to totally knock out your palate for right. trying a Brie. Right. So next, what we're going to try is the, I'll give you the nice big piece. This is called Quadrella de Buffalo. Quadrilla de Buffalo. So this is an Italian buffalo milk cheese. Now, when you think buffalo, you're thinking Great Plains buffalo. That is not it. These are water buffalo. Oh, so this is the milk from a water buffalo. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Oh. Oh, that's good. It's tangy. It's sharp. It's got that piquant. It's got a hay-y quality, a grassy quality to it. There's a lot going on here. Then it's got almost like some bittery aspects at the end. You, as you said that, I started tasting it. You might also, with some aged cheeses, you might almost get a little bit of like a prickle on your tongue like you would when you eat pineapple. Really? Because it causes a, a histamine reaction. Oh. Oh, man. Buffalo cheese. Buffalo cheese is very farmy. Mm -hmm. A little gamey, I would say. Mm -hmm. This is a wash rind buffalo cheese. What is a wash rind? So they keep the rind mm -hmm. wet mm -hmm. while it's aging. It's washed with a salt water. Maybe it's got infused with herbs. Um, maybe it's got like smears of bacteria in it. Mm -hmm. And that kind of enhances the flavor. So the scent is almost like belly button. Ooh. 
Oh, God, yeah. So these <laughs> these are the cheeses that when you smell them, you're like, oh, no, old gym sock, I don't want them. The inside of the cheese, so there's the rind of the cheese, the inside is called the paste of the cheese. The paste of the cheese is going to pick up parts of that, but it's not going to, for the most part, not going to be as offensive as the smell is from the outside. Now, you yeah. wouldn't necessarily eat the rind on that one, even though it's a softer cheese. Right. Because it's real funky rind. But it influences the flavor of the, the inside, cheese. Yeah. Yeah, and the cheese itself, the, uh, what did you call it again? The, uh, the, 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 the inside of the cheese? Yeah. The paste. The paste, I smelled it before eating it. Not bad. Not bad. Yeah. Farmy. It's got a farmy smell to it. Yeah. So, yeah, this one is like, you know, you, you are walking through a working farm. Okay. All right. And this one here, this is Osau Irati. This is a sheep's cheese from, the uh, Pyrenees. Really? Osau. It's got, now smell it. It's almost got a, so it's got like a barnyardy farmy quality it and it's sweet. Almost like a yeah. caramel butterscotchy quality to it. Yeah. That's... A lot of sheep's cheeses, when they're aged long enough, mm. get that kind of almost like hint of sweetness going on. I don't know how I would describe this, but I don't think I've ever had a cheese quite like this. It's almost like Manchego, but not. Manchego is a sheep's cheese. So oh. Manchego. I mean, it even looks kind of like Manchego. Mm-hmm. Um, Manchego comes from Manchega sheep. That's how it's uh, named. Okay. Yeah, I like that. What is this one called again? Oso Irati. Oso or Osau Irati. Again, I apologize. I'm very bad at pronouncing things correctly in the cheese world. Osau. That sounds Portuguese. <clears throat> Does it? <clears throat> Osau. Yeah. Sip of water. Clear, clear your throat. <laughs> and we'll get down to the second to last cheese. Now, this is one of my favorite cheeses. This is called Midnight Moon. Midnight Moon is a goat's milk gouda that is made um, in Holland, but it's for the Cypress Grove Creamery out of California. Okay. I love Gouda too. Almost like a sweet caramel butterscotchiness going on yeah. to it. Now this cheese is gonna, it's gonna stick to your palate while you're eating it. And yeah, it's got almost like a burnt caramel flavor going on. Burnt, okay. Like a brown mm. sugar butter. Oh yeah. And then that goat flavor. That funky, barnyardy, musky goat flavor. So that one would be good with caramel, I bet. Absolutely. You could use this. It also, because of the sweetness, you could go the opposite route and do it with like Granny Smith apples. Ooh, yeah. It'd kind of balance out the mm -hmm. tart. I would have this with a with like a stout or a porter as well, because it's going to bring out a lot of those bitter coffee notes mm -hmm. in the beer. Again, mm. one of my favorites. Very versatile cheese for people who think that they don't like necessarily like goat cheeses. This is like completely different flavor spectrum. It's not lactic-y. It doesn't have that tangy saltiness to it. So that that one is a goat? Mm-hmm. That is also a goat cheese. All right. Now we are going to go on to our last cheese. This is Saint Agour. This is a uh, French blue cheese. Ooh. <laughs> so we're going to try it plain. And then we can try it with a little dab of honey on it. Yes. Now this uses 
Penicillin Roqueforti is the type of bacteria they use. So what it is is they, when they're making the batch of cheese, they inoculate the cheese with that penicillin bacteria and then they punch holes in the cheese mm-hmm. while it's aging. And then that air helps that uh, penicillin grow into these beautiful dark blue green and it, little and splotches. It, and it helps stave off syphilis. Actually, in cheese, um, with a lot of the other stuff going in, it kind of deactivates the penicillin. Oh. Which is also why if you are on penicillin, be careful of eating too much penicillin-based cheese. Interesting, because it'll cancel out. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh, now, my when God. you have blue cheese, you're usually getting that really like bright, intense funk. Yeah. This is salted butter. Yeah. With this a hint, is... with a what's going on here? With like a old attic in the best way flavor. I've never had blue cheese like this. It's a little musty. It's musty, it's but sharp. Yeah, it doesn't. It's sharp, but not really biting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not bitey, very creamy. Mmm. Oh man, that is so good. Now, if you want to take it up a notch, I'll give you a little bit more cheese on okay. that because otherwise, because honey is also a very, very strong flavor. Mm-hmm. So just a dab will do you. Boom. All right. Here we go. So you remember what the cheese tasted like before? It was. Sharp, buttery, salty deliciousness. Right. Cheers. Lachaim. Lachaim. Mmm. Oh, wow. That is good. All of a sudden, it changes the flavor of the honey. The honey tastes more nutty. Yeah. The sweetness mm. from the honey kind of comes down a notch, so it's not cloyingly sweet and the cheese no longer has quite that top level of like blue cheesiness it's not for some people it would probably be abrasive it kind of mellows it out mm-hmm. that is really damn good uh-huh oh my god i'm trying to think like what else i would have with that <clears throat> fresh fruit Blue cheese is a dessert cheese, typically. You could do um, figs or dates. Oh, figs. Oh, fuck. That would be good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You Mm. could do, if you wanted to go another aspect, you could do like candied walnuts, dried cranberries, and like arugula on a baguette with that. Yeah. I really love food and I love eating. So I always love trying to like pair things differently so that they taste a little bit different to me somehow blue cheese is super versatile i'm imagining what this what that would be like with arugula i love arugula um because that it's that change from we just had it with something sweet to something that's got like a very bitter vegetal herbaceous quality totally changes the profile of the cheese that you're having having the cheese with honey and maybe some um pecans on arugula Yes. Like chopped pecans. Yes. Fuck me in the mouth. Seriously. Oh my God. <laughs> you can do some strange stuff with cheese. You can make it like the main attraction of a meal just by adding other ingredients to it is going to bring out different characteristics in the cheese. So how did you end up getting into cheese specifically? So... um. I had originally, when I ended up in, uh, I was in the beer and wine department for a long time. And then when I moved down here, they didn't have positions open necessarily in the beer and wine department. 
for Whole Foods, so I was in the prepared foods team for a while, and then the domain store was going to open, and I wanted to go back into what we call the specialty team, which is like beer, wine, cheese, and coffee. Mm -hmm. Um, And I ended up getting accepted for a team member position at the domain opening, and they hired me as a floating team member, so I was going to kind of do it all. Now, I hadn't really worked with cheese that much at that point, so I was working a lot at the bar when it was open, and then they gave me a position at at the time, it was called a sales driver. So I was like doing demos and stuff, but that most of that was going to involve not beer and wine. It was going to involve cheese. Mm-hmm. And so I had to start learning more about cheese. Now, when I get into something, if something like bites me and gets a hold of me, I get freakishly obsessive over stuff because I don't have a lot of things that like tickle my fancy that I want to like continue to learn more about it. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Cool. Now I have a, a little factoid that I know. And I was just like, wait, there's more to cheese than it just being cheese? Of course there is. I was, you know, I had no idea. And all of a sudden, I'm learning all about different types of cheese and different milk styles. And it's just... (laughs) Now, I'd worked with cheese a little bit when I was in specialty and in produce. So I've been working with cheese for a a long time. But I just knew about cutting and wrapping cheese. I hadn't really, right. like, given it, like, much thought. And as I'm eating more cheese and realizing all the stuff about cheese, I just want to learn more and more and more and more about cheese. Mm-hmm. And it just became my passion. And then I became a cheese buyer for one of the stores for Whole Foods. And I got even more obsessed with cheese because then I was seeing the processes and policies, which I can't get into too much about when you're purchasing cheese, things that affect it. And I was like, this is crazy. Mm -hmm. I never would have considered this. And then I get to learn these stories about these different farms. And then I have like more of a connection to the cheese. And I've already spoke about how much I love having a connection to my food and just the backstories of some cheeses. And so I just wanted to learn more and more and more and more and more. And then eventually I found out throughout my whole span of Whole Foods with how long I'd worked with cheese, I'd had 4,000 service hours that had been in and around or involved cheese somehow. Now, some of it wasn't always like specifically specified to just cheese, but it involved cutting, wrapping, processing cheese, pairing it somehow. Mm. Um, And that was the qualification you had to have to take the certified cheese professional test. And so I applied and they accepted to Whole Foods sponsored me for that position. I studied for eight months Wow. Um, And then I went to the American Cheese Society conference that they do once a year. And it's held in different places every year. Um, And I sat down for that test. And it was the craziest test I've ever taken in my life. I full on, uh, what's that movie, Old School? I full on Will Ferrell in Old School. I blacked out. I don't remember anything about that test. (laughs) I remember sitting there and I just remember this being like the most stressful test of my entire life. But I realized I knew more than I thought I did. And I could infer stuff from past questions and or if I broke it down, I could like understand it. But I don't I could maybe tell you four questions that were on that 150 question exam. I blacked out. I don't remember anything. And then you have to wait for months and months and months and months to find out if you passed or not. And if you pass, you don't know what you got right. They don't send you a score. They just say that you passed or they say that you failed and you don't quite know by how much. And this was a really intense test. Like even if you wanted to, I was about 10 feet away from a bubbler, a water fountain. Mm-hmm. Bubbler is a Massachusetts term for a water fountain in case anybody wanted to know. I was about 10 feet away from this bubbler. And even if I wanted to get up to get a drink of water, I had to raise my hand, 
and wait for one of the proctors of the exam to come over and escort me to the water fountain. It was that controlled of an environment. Holy shit. Where was this done, this test? Um, when I took it, we were in where were we? Iowa. Okay. I think it was Iowa. Like I said, I barely remember anything about it. Um, do you, will you ever have to take the test again? No, I do have to recertify every three years, okay. but I just have to show that I've been continuously working with cheese. Kind of like a driver's time. license. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But like way more intense. Yes, and now there's, like, other parts of the exam that they're um, picking up. Now there's, when I took it, it was just a written exam, and now there's a second exam that you can take, which is, like, a taste-testing exam. Mm -hmm. um, they just came out with that. I believe it was either this past year or the year before, and I will eventually take that, but right now with, like, my job and me being in more of a leadership role, I'm not as hands-on with buying as I used to be, so I would need to do a lot of, like studying by myself and eating a lot of cheese to be co comfortable enough to warrant me doing that. But I've got my CCP and that's all that matters. So, so you're set for now. I'm content with where I'm at. I think eventually I do want to take the taste test though. And where would that lead you? Is there any thing you see in your future relating to cheese? I definitely want to keep working with cheese um, in some aspect because it just brings me so much joy and I love mm -hmm. teaching people about cheese and I love talking about cheese and I love doing cheese tastings. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if, if it's going to evolve into any more of like a big Mahatma position for me. Mm -hmm. I just knew that I never want to stop working with cheese and teaching people about cheese. I think teaching about cheese is my favorite part. Um, what's your favorite cheese joke? Oh, God. <laughs> Any cheesy ones? <laughs> um, I just, I, I mean, I sang that song for you earlier, and that's probably my favorite. Um, I actually don't know a lot of cheese jokes because when people try to tell them to me, I'm already groaning so much internally <laughs> that I, like, Block it out. Um, yeah, no, I do not have a favorite cheese joke. I'm sorry, that's, I'm so lame. That's okay. I just came to me. I thought I'd ask. Well, thank you so, so, so much. Oh my for god, doing thank this. you for this having me. This like, has been so much fun. This is so generous of you. Yeah, and you gotta. I'm not bringing that home with me. Y'all gotta eat that. Oh, I'll eat it. <laughs> I'll try to save some for Emily. Be nice. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm Would you sorry be, I'm so sweaty. I, I'm sweaty too. Would you be willing to come back and uh, do another episode sometime? Oh, hell yeah. Talk about I would love, yeah, we can talk about cheese. We can talk about life. We can talk about music. That'd I, be, I, we, can just, we can just eat a bunch of cheese and just talk about whatever topics we want. And yeah. we can... Yeah, absolutely. I would I'd love, love to that. Back. I've had a great time. Um, if you, you guys so watching the video want me to come back, leave a comment down below. Let us know if there are any topics that you'd want us to discuss again in the future or any cheeses that you want me to give reviews on. And I'd if, be ha happily come back. And if you want to be part of the Cheese Club, donate patreon.com slash that thing with James. Uh, catch you next week. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Oh my god, that was so easy. Right? That's what he said. Ayo. <laughs>